I want to begin reading in verse 16, and he says, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hastened, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. This is why I'm preaching out of here, because this is something that went on in the church. And he calls the pastors of the church together, and he's going to give them uh, some of their final uh, uh, instructions so that they can relay that back to the churches. And he says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know... From the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and now, or how, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there to make a comment that the Apostle Paul preached repentance. It is part of your salvation, not a work. Repentance ain't a work. Biblical repentance is a change of mind that results in the change of action. Look here in the verse. He says, and, and he says, repentance, look at it, toward God. You see that? That's got that little prefix to. To denotes direction. When a person gets saved, when they get born again, uh, they turn to God. That's repentance. When people don't turn, they just like, well, I'm taking Jesus with me. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not salvation. There's some change that happens. And Paul, what I'm bringing out here is, is the apostle Paul preached repentance. And anybody that proclaims the gospel or preaches the gospel and does not want to cover a, a repentance or they don't want to cover about sin and how I, we need to be saved, they're shunning to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And they're doing it to gain a point. They're doing it because it creates negative emotions in the hearer. And so he says, now look. Verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. This is where I get my text. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course which with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify. You want to know what the ministry of the church is? Here it is. To testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's your ministry of the church. That's what we're being called to do. We're not being called uh, to have uh, big parties, even though we have some. We like that. We have family fellowships and things of like that. But these are things that happen uh, after we have emphasized the main thing, which is to testify of the gospel of Christ. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching... 
the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take to you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned. There it is. That's what I was referring to. To declare unto you all the counsel of God. Yeah, that, that means the parts that upset people. Take heed. So he says, now pay attention, be on guard, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, that's, that's what a pastor is, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone day and night, or night and day with tears. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, help us today. Help me. Uh, Lord, I want to preach the message you put on my heart. Help me to step aside. And Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak through me what he wants said. Not what I want said, but what he wants said. Lord, be with the hearts of the people here today. Feed them. Give them something from the Word of God. Be with the others that couldn't be here, uh, whether it be due to sickness or maybe just uh, uh, out of town on vacation. But Father, there's some I know that just too lazy to come. And Lord, I ask that you shake them up. They need to be shaken awake. They're asleep on God. Lord, now help us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now the Bible... It's clear to tell us that in the last days, he says, some shall depart from the faith. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is what the apostle is warning these pastors. He says, now look, when I'm out of here and when I move on, he says, grievous wolves, they're going to enter in. That's false preachers. If you need a commentary on that, Matthew chapter 7 where he talks about false preachers, false prophets, and there he uses ravening wolves. So false preachers and false prophets, they're ravening wolves, they're grievous wolves, and they devour people. And the Bible says that in the last days, people would be drawn away. And then it goes on to say, in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 3, that some, some would not endure sound doctrine. And then he goes on to say that they would trade the truth. I need to read it because the Lord showed me something this week out here I'd never really seen before. And that's why sometimes it's good to get an old dictionary out. And the dictionary that goes with the 1611 is the Noah Webster's Dictionary of 1828. Yeah, it's going to be a little different than the one you Google up. Now, I use the one I find on Google, but let me tell you something. When I'm really needing to know what word I'm looking at that's a 1611 word, Old English word, I go to that dictionary that goes with this Bible. 1828, Noah Webster Dictionary. I used to have a copy of one. I have it in most, in most Bible programs now. So I have it in my Bible program, but I used to have it. I probably still have it around here. It's about that thick. 
And it's, it's that old school you get in there and dig around in that. You got to know your ABCs, though. And so some days I'm just, I can only get A, B, and C and falls off from there. And so uh, I kind of like it in the Bible program. But look at this here. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Now watch this. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You see that? I thought, well, I just figured fables, you know, that's just a story that ain't true. No, he's in the context of sound doctrine. And a fable, the definition to it, is a fictitious story intended to enforce some useful truth. You say, well, what are you trying to say? Oh, I'm, well, I'm teaching hermeneutics in the Bible Institute. He's saying that there was a day coming when people did not want to have the literal meaning of the Word of God given to them because it was too hurtful or cutful. Uh, it cuts them down there, and the Bible says that the Word of God is a discerner, and it's a piercer, and it's going to divide her, and it's going to divide, and they would turn from that. They wanted to get different preachers and different people's opinions and they were more into the application than they were the doctrine, the sound doctrine of it. That's what he's talking about. And so today there is a big resurrection of uh, allegorically interpreting the Word of God where you, you look at the Bible and you, you put it in story form and say, well, here's what we can get and here's what that does. What that does is that takes the strength out of the Word of God, and it lets each individual say, well, how does that hit you and your bad self? How do you feel about it? I got news for you, and I guess what got all this all started is uh, I seen a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it always gets my goat when people begin to share scripture verse and all of a sudden, you know, they, you got this one camp that says, well, I'm against rightly dividing. And the other camp says, well, uh, how come there's so many different opinions? Give me your opinion on this verse. And I don't agree with your opinion. And I wanted to jump into that so bad. Uh, and, and, and I didn't. And I'll tell you why I didn't. And I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't either. Because they'll drag you down to their level of stupid and beat you with experience every time. <clears throat> there is only one doctrinal interpretation to every verse. And that is found within the context you find it in. But there can be many different applications. And what a lot of people have is an application to a verse. And they think that's the doctrine. And you have all the different opinions. And boy, sometimes... Let's get off of that, get back on that, this. The point is, he said there'd be those teachers that come in. And I spiritualize things. I'm not against spiritualization now. now we, 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 we have fun with that. But there is a doctrinal application. We must stay true to sound doctrine. And he says there was a time coming where preachers would come in and people, because they didn't want to endure sound doctrine, they wanted to hear all the different little teachers. And it's kind of like somebody that wants to be sick. And they've already been to three doctors and said, there is nothing wrong with you. We're on every test that we know, and there's still nothing wrong with you. And they keep searching until they finally find that one doctor that says, you think you're sick? Yeah. 
Okay, you're sick. You got some kind of weird disease and they give you a placebo pill for it and you think you're being healed. There's people out there like that. And so a doctor say, you know what? I'll take your money. So then he goes on to say there in the book of Peter, he warns us that many would follow the pernicious way. That's the way of flesh, the way of sin, because they don't want to stay by the stuff. They're not going to finish the course that God give to the church. Not going to endure it. You see, we should be preaching things that lead people in a path to holiness, not away from holiness. But that wasn't his main thrust. I believe his main thrust is what he covered first. It's more importantly, he declares that he was more worried about the trials of life moving the church away from finishing its course for God. I believe these were some of the things that he experienced in his life. He, as an apostle, and, and so he had a unique office, and, and God had called him to be an apostle, and, and he had seen the resurrected Savior. And he had the power to heal. He had a lot of power. And God allowed him to pen 13 books of the New Testament. But there were some things that had come up in his life that he wanted to warn these pastors so they could warn their people. These things can come up and they can move you off of your course. Look with me in verse 21. Of course, i got to get back to Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. And we want verse 24. I've done it all week. I wrote down 21. And uh, Brother Dave, when I text you, I almost te to text you uh, 1621 is my text for today. I'm going, boy, that's not going to work if he goes over and looks at that. It's actually chapter 20, verse 24. And I, I think I corrected that. I got that back to you. But when I first printed that before I sent it, it was 1621. I don't know why. I don't even know what 1621 says. It's just, it's in my mind like that. And... Uh, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. I have no idea why I was stuck on that. It wasn't because I had read it. Look at verse 24. But none of these things move me. What things was he talking about? Well, it was the things he had already mentioned. He wasn't worried about being moved from a false teacher or a false preacher. Now, he mentions that to those preachers there, and he wanted to make sure that they warned the church, and, and, but he doesn't emphasize that. He says, these are some things that happened to me that could have caused me to move or to stop or to get off my course for God. And that's why he gets personal. And he says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Why? Because he remained humble. Humble. So that I might finish my course. That's personal. Every child of God has a course. If you've been born again, 
God has given you a course to run. A course. It's kind of like when we was running track, and you can tell I've run a lot of track, right? Nah, I'm more of a sprinter. I'm kind of like a, a dwarf. I'm real good in a short distance, but not on long, long way. But you get in those relay races. I, I tried to run one once, and something about a 440, and I, mm, that didn't work out so well for me. Uh, then I thought, well, I'll do relay races, and that didn't work so well for me, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, I like the 50-yard dash, the 100-yard dash, you know. Those were fine. But remember, there's those lanes you're supposed to run in. Uh, I never ran. I didn't know what they was there for, you know. Uh, I just figured it was kind of like the lanes on the road, you know. Uh, the lane on the left is the passing lane. Get out of my way. <laughs> Come on, move over, beep, beep, <laughs> me, me, like that. You know, I'd come running by. Uh, but uh, think about that as a course. You're supposed to be running your course. And he says, God give him a course. God's given you a course. And he said he'd received, he said, I've received a ministry. God's given each and every one of you ministry. So well, I'm not a preacher. Well, as we was finding out this morning, the adult Sunday school class, uh, you could have a ministry of mercy. Maybe you got the ministry of giving. Maybe you got the ministry of discernment or the ministry. Maybe you, you, maybe you could be a teacher. But there's different ministries. And each and every person, when they got saved, God give them a gift, according to 1 Peter, to serve God in ministry. You've been given a ministry. Now, he emphasizes here the ministry all of us have been given, which is to testify of the gospel of Christ. And I was thinking about that, uh, I guess, on the way home yesterday. Uh, and, and we've been on the last couple of weeks, you know, uh, people, kids that were raised in Christian homes, you know, PK kids, uh, uh, strong Christian homes. And, and a lot of times they, they struggle with the simplest things. And one of the things I'm looking for when I'm listening for a testimony out of an individual, whether they were raised in a Christian home or come in from the outside, is when, at what point in time in their life did they realize they were lost and they needed a Savior? And that should have been somewhere around that time where they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard the testimony of some PK kids and Christian kids. Well, I've always been saved. Uh, <clears throat> boy, that's not a good answer. Uh, that tells me you've never admitted or realized that you were lost. I got news for you. As a six-year-old little boy, I was as lost as lost could be. And, and some of the teaching of sound doctrine is we're as bad off as we can be. Now, we might not be as bad as we can be, but we're as bad off as we can be. And as a six-year-old boy, at the age of accountability, I was as bad off as I could be. And I realized that. When the preacher was preaching on behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and the Holy Spirit began to work on my heart and I knew what sin was and I knew I was a sinner and I didn't want to die and go to hell and so I reached out to the Savior that morning. I'm looking for something similar to that that you realize you were lost and Christ found you. But you've been given ministry You've been given a course to run, each and every one. 
Upon salvation, we have a race. We have a ministry. We're saved for a purpose. Now, what he means by that, remember when God spoke with Ananias, he said, you need to go down there, help old Saul out. His name was Saul then. He said, you need to baptize him. He said, uh, he's just a new convert now. Ananias says, now, Lord, you know what you're talking about? He said, I've heard about that dude. He kills Christians. I ain't going down there. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty close to turkey time, and I don't want to miss turkey time this year. And he didn't say all that. I'm paraphrasing, but you kind of get the gist. You know what's going on. I lost some of you. I had to get you back somewhere there. And, 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 and so he goes down there, and he tells Ananias, he says, Look, I'm going to tell him that he's been a vessel that's going to suffer much persecution for me. Mm. Do you like God tell you that when you got saved? So we got a purpose. My point is, Apostle Paul had a purpose. God saved him for a purpose. Meaning you got value in God's eyes. Each and every one of you. Value. Uh, meaning we're tools to be used for God. Now, uh, this hit me this week. I got a number of different tools. So my trade is plastering. I, I've got more than just one trial. I've got three or four trials running around. Now, I've got one trial that I'll predominantly use. But I got two other trials that I use for certain things. Now, I keep them all clean. I keep them polished up. I keep them ready. But I'm not going to use them every day. We're all tools in God's tool shed. Now, God might not use us every day, but we still, we were purchased. He says he purchased the church with his own blood. You've been bought for a purpose. And just because I don't use those trials every day doesn't mean I don't care about them. Doesn't mean that I still don't keep them wiped off and clean. And they're put away, ready for the next time I use them. Now, you need to let that sink in for a minute. God might not use you 24-7. You're a tool. Now he might. But then again, he might not. But you need to be ready. You have value. You have purpose. Let me put it to you like this. What I'm trying to enforce is there's a lot of feelings of despair today. People have uh, uh, feelings of worthlessness. You ever experienced that? Just not very, uh, you know, I'm not really worth much or, uh, uh, you know, maybe, you know, what am I doing? I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. And, 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 and so you're thinking, I just can't do anything for God. Had I not messed my life up in my earlier years, maybe I could have done more. You remember this. The Apostle Paul said with his own mouth that he was the chiefest of sinners. And he had value in God's eyes. He had value. And we need to stay the course. He says, be not moved. I want to give you a few things on what might make you quit on God. You look around here. I've been here. I keep saying 12 years. It's 11 years going on 12, I guess. Jen had to correct me that. I knew what year I come down here, 2012. 
December the 12th, 2012. 12, 12, 12. It's easy to remember. And that just suits me just fine. You know me. Same, 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 same. I didn't plan it that way. It just worked out that way. And so this is 2023. So this December, I guess we'll start the 12th year. I tell everybody, no, I've been here 12 years. You know, go on 13. You know, it's not. It's 11 going on 12. I, years were mixed up. Years were mixed up. Point. There's a lot of people not here that's fallen out, by the way. Not everybody that fell out was lost. <laughs> now, I know I preach a lot of people lost, and there's reasons for that, but not everybody's lost. There are some saved people, you know. Uh, saved people can get backslid, you know. Saved people can get a little ornery on God. Uh, they might not stay that way. David stayed backslid six months, by the way, after the sin with Bathsheba. It's about all he could stand. I've experienced some of that in my personal life. About all you're going to be able to stand. At least that's all God would let me stand. Here's the point. There's people that have been moved off of their course. You know people, and I know people. And he's warning us. He's emphasizing this. These are some of the things that gave me pause that I don't want you to stumble at. And the first one is tears. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. Buckle up, buttercup, because the Christian life, you're going to shed a lot of tears. I've done more crying these last 12 years. See, I did it again. You just got to give it to me. It's 12. 12 years than I have at any time in my life. He shed a lot of tears. You know, heartbreak causes tears. You go through a heartbreak. Something devastating happens to you. Things don't work out the way that you thought they should. Been there. You get to crying about that thing. The devil just jumps on you in a chokehold and says, You know you ain't no good. You know... And the devil will work you over and you'll be shedding tears and tears could move you to quit on God. Losing a loved one. I've seen people get out because they lose loved ones. They get mad at God because they lose somebody that they was close to. Why did God take them? Well, he took them to a better place if they were born again. And I wouldn't want them back, even if I could bring them back. And they wouldn't want to come back because they'd be mad. Don't you all pray for me to come back. I get over there on that, that golden shore. If I end up dying uh, early before we get raptured out here, don't you mourn for me and cry around. And, oh, we wish we could have preacher tell you. You'd probably be better off. Don't you pray me back. <laughs> I'm over there. I'm going to graduate. You have a party. You know that's what I like. <laughs> Cook some ribs or something. But you carry on. You carry on. If God's not raptured us out. Now I'm hoping to be here until the rapture. But tears, heartbreak, could cause us to move from our course. When our hopes have been shattered. How about guilt from a past life? Shedding tears of guilty conscience. 
Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? He had killed Christians before he got saved. Do you understand that some of the people that he preached to in these churches were family to the people that he had killed? I think it was Brother Larry Seals I think about this this morning. I, I let him preach from, from time to time. I, I like to hear him. And he's one of the missionaries we support. He, and he had a rough life before he got saved. And, and he was serious. I thought he was kidding at first. He says, now some of y'all, I broke into your houses years gone by when I was lost. And I thought, well, he's just kidding. I, I knew he was rough. And he says, no, I'm serious. I broke into some of y'all's houses and took your stuff. And he said, but God saved me. Think about the guilt that man carries around. Think about the guilt the Apostle Paul carried around. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Tears, shedding tears over that. Because you know who you are before the Lord and the devil working on you. Tears could move you from finishing your course. Temptation. Verse 19. It says, in temptations which befell me by the lion and weight of the Jews. I got to looking at this, and I'm thinking, well, you know, temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. No, that's not what he's talking about here. It's not what he's talking about. The context tells you what he's talking about. He says, by the lying and weight of the Jews, back up to verse 2, verse 3, the Jews were laying in wait to kill him. Sometimes in the Bible, temptation means a trial. You say, well, then they didn't use the right word. No, they used the correct word, and here's why. It's a temptation because if he'd have quit on God, they'd have quit hunting him down. He was tempted to quit, to move from his course that God had given him, and, and everything would have been peachy if he'd have stopped serving God. I mean, it was the same people that had commissioned him to kill Christians, and now they're hunting him. That all stopped if he went back to Judaism. If he'd have stopped preaching. You see, those trials, they happened because they were designed to blast his reputation and to destroy his usefulness. There it is. That's why he uses the word temptation. It's a trial, but the temptation was to quit because the context said, none of these things moved me. He wasn't going to quit. There was no quit in him. But I see persecution. Verse 22. Now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Verse 23, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds, there it is, and afflictions abide me. You know, persecutions, people can't handle it. Not everybody. And it'll move them to quit on God, a little persecution. I believe we're going to see some of that. In the years to come, in the church's Christian persecution, it is on the rise after all. You know, the Bible says, all that shall live godly shall suffer persecution. From false Christians, 
I'll tell you this, I've told you before, but I will tell it again because it bears repeating. Christians do not persecute Christians. Christians do not persecute Christians. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You go to Galatians chapter 1. Paul tells you what he did before he got saved, how he persecuted the body of Christ, the church, and he said then when, when he got saved, all that stopped. Nowhere in the Bible do you see Christians persecuting Christians. So why do we got that? Oh, well, he, he tells you there in 2 Corinthians, it's false brethren. But it's persecution. But let me bring it home. This I know we need. Now you put your listening ears on. Because I'm going to give you some of the words of Christ. Unsaved family can persecute you. You know, we've got a number of folks in the church that have been saved that come from uh, a different backgrounds, like as in Roman Catholicism and other backgrounds, and their families have disowned them. Uh, Brother Samuel Gerard, he's Amish, ex-Amish. His family has disowned him. People, when they get saved... Their unsaved family members will persecute them. They will disown them. They will uh, tell them. And, and, and here's something else. I need to say this. Any so-called Christians tell you that you can get too much Jesus, they're straight up lost. You can't get too much Jesus. You can't get too much church. You can't get too much Christian fellowship. Now, that's a fact. From the Word of God. And anybody says, oh, you just, you, know, you just got too much Christianity. There's too much church. There's too much God. That's a red flag. Can't get that. What are you trying to tell me? Really, what are you communicating when you say that? You're saying, well, I just need a little bit of Jesus. What, just the part that keeps you out of a devil's hell? Guess what? You don't get that part. You don't get to cherry pick Jesus. You take it all. Or you take none. It's not a negotiation. But family, unsaved family, will persecute you. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 10, 34. Now, this is Christ. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. You think Jesus was a, was a sissy preacher? He wasn't. He wasn't. He said, I, I didn't come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Oh, brother, what's a sword do? According to Hebrews 4.12, it divides. Now let's follow up. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You know, not everybody can bear up to that. And it'll move them. Persecution from unsaved family members will cause them to quit on God. See, you don't need to be moved by persecution. We're not better than our Savior. The Lord said that they persecuted Him, and He says, they will persecute you. The devil doesn't like you. And the devil's children doesn't like you. Not everybody is a child of God. The Bible's straight up on that. You've got God's children and you've got the children of the devil. What did he say to the Pharisees? You're of your father, the devil. And boy, they were anti-Christ, weren't they? 
Persecution from unsaved family members. Don't let it move you. Christ said, I'm telling you, when you get saved, born again, it'll set you, it'll divide you, the saved from the lost. Family, and you always remember this, the world loves its own. The world will accept its own. And so your unsaved family will accept lost people, but hate you and your flesh and blood. Why? All because of Jesus. And the devil's using it to move you to quit on God. Apostle Paul experienced great persecution. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go over there, but you can read it. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He lists a whole list of things that had befell him. He had taken beatings for Christ, whippings for Christ, shipwreck for Christ, scorn, all types of persecutions. He, he, I probably should because I wanted to pull something out of that. I won't spend a lot of time there because I need to finish up. He talks about in perils in the sword, perils by the heathen, heathen, but verse 27, in weariness and painfulness, if you're over, someone help me, over 40, maybe over 50, you're going to experience some pain in life. And sometimes you not want, don't want to come to church because you're in pain. And the pain's real. Uh, he knew something about that. And painfulness, in watchings off, in hunger, uh-oh, Anybody in here didn't have breakfast because you didn't have food or the money to buy food? No. This is an apostle. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He had the, he had the power of God on him. He could heal people. Uh, he was going hungry, thirsty, fasting off, cold, and nakedness. Sometimes he didn't have clothes. Beside those things which are without... That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I don't think I could handle that. About time you cut my food supply off. Mm. Somebody got to talking about intermittent fasting yesterday. I think it was Brother Andrew. Heresy. <laughs> boy, that boy needs to get right with God. <laughs> he only lost 55 pounds. I said, what are you doing? I figured he's going to tell me. He said he quit eating flour, quit eating sugar. You know, I eat what I want. I just... I quit eating breakfast was the first thing he told me. I went, what are you trying to imply? <laughs> that intermittent fasting must work. It's biblical. Pharisees said they fasted two days a week, but I didn't want to be a Pharisee. <laughs> but there's probably something good for you about it. Persecutions. How about fear of the unknown there in verse 22 in Acts? And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing. Folks, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people bow out and they won't finish their race for God because of fear of the unknown. It's a very powerful motivator, fear of the unknown. You know, I've experienced that a time or two. More so in these last 12 years than I ever had before in my life. Fear of the unknown can move you to quit on God 
Bible's clear that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but He's given us the spirit of a sound mind, a spirit of love. So fear, that fear of the unknown, that spirit of fear, there's a spirit that goes with it. That doesn't come from God. Fear of the unknown will cause people to quit on God. You know, we lost 33%, not in this church, we lost a little more, but uh, I think, but the stats, when you look at churches on a whole in America, 33% of the congregation quit because of COVID. Many of them never having it, never got it. Fear of the unknown. Well, I might. It could. I could die. I think you're probably more likely to die from one of these crazy drivers down here than COVID. Now, I've had it. I've had COVID three times and had COVID pneumonia this spring. And I was about that far from going to the hospital to be put on a ventilator, which they say is the end of you. Well, I'm not going to let fear of the unknown stop me or make me quit on God. 33% is the statistics. They quit and never come back. Not going to come back. I believe that's just God shaking the tree a little bit. But the point is, the devil was able to use the fear of the unknown to move them to quit. Now in the years to come, if God tarries, what will move you? I hope nothing moves you from finishing your course on God. Stay the course. God saved you for a reason. You're not worthless. Don't let the devil play that one on you. Well, I'm just worthless. I'm no good. I'm not, a, I'm not a, an important part in the church. I've been on this the last few weeks. It's not in the notes, but the Holy Spirit wants me on it. He says, even the joint, every joint, there's joints that make up the body, the uncomely parts, the parts that we don't often think about. He said, they're necessary too. You have a purpose in the body of Christ. Now the devil, he'll fill your head with nonsense. Like, mm, you know, you're not that good. God ain't really going to use you. Or one of these other things that I've mentioned this morning, it's right here in this text. Persecution, fear of the unknown, temptations, tears. Many times tears. People just can't handle the loss. A lot of loss in these last 12 years. I've shed many tears over that. Many, many tears. I think one of the hardest things that a pastor has to do is watch people dismantle their lives right in front of him. There's nothing you can do but pray. Shed tears and cry and weep. And I got news for you. It can move you. Don't let the tears of heartbreak and trials move you to quit on God. Don't let temptation and persecution and fear of the unknown 
Don't let it make you quit on God. Stay the course. Let's all stand this morning.